3: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome
4: back to the Tom Hartman program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio and every U.S. military base in the world, your electronic device via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV network on Dish Network, DirecTV, and cable systems all over the country. Victoria Jones is going to drop by. She was born and grew up in the U.K. She's now a U.S. citizen. She's with the DC Radio Company. She's the chief Washington analyst, and uh, she does a great job of telling us what's really going on in the UK. But uh, Jeremy Corbyn, kind of the UK's Bernie Sanders, only he's he's really not. I mean, Bernie is a pretty polished guy in some ways. Yeah, he, you know, he he can wear a rumpled suit from time to time. But but Bernie is such a better politician than Jeremy Corbyn. And Corbyn has some baggage, you know, some anti-Semitic baggage, you know, in his past. Some Uh, support of the IRA which is not not a popular thing in the UK and they were all over the place the the liberals you know uh, you know oh we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and we're gonna give you a four-day work week and we're going to expand the National Health Service and we're going to nationalize the railroads I'm part of this email group of people who have worked with Salem International the International Relief Agency and a lot of our members former international relief workers are and and some of them active are in the UK, and we were talking about this overnight and this morning. The other thing, though, is, that, that is very concerning is the role of Facebook in all this. And we're seeing this with the Trump campaign right now. Judd Legum over at popular.info was reporting that the Trump campaign, you know, they have that one famous ad with the lie about Joe Biden in it, where Joe Biden's saying, I'm, We're going to withhold a billion dollars until you fire that prosecutor. And then they say the prosecutor was looking into Joe's son, which is not true. And in fact, the prosecutor was very corrupt. He wasn't looking into anything. That's why they wanted to fire him. But that ad was such a blatant lie that when they tried to run it on CNN, CNN said, we won't carry it. But Facebook will. But more insidiously, they have over 1,400 different ads And we've only seen a few of them. I mean, you don't see these ads unless you're one of the groups that they target. And this is not a for example out of reality. This is a for example out of my imagination because I have not seen these ads and and you pretty much can't see these ads unless you happen to be in one of these groups. But if they were making an ad, for example, targeting people who own motorcycles, because Facebook's information about who you are and what you like and what you do is so finely tuned. And i don't know if you know motorcycles is one of the groups but let's say let's just assume so they put together an ad that says uh, you know liberals want to do away with motorcycles they could put together an ad full of lies like so many of their ads are and just tightly focus people and there would never be a discussion in the media about it because the media never sees these ads you know the rest of us never see these ads and Trump is doing this right now here in the United States and he's spending millions of dollars a week very tightly targeting people and his ads on Facebook are apparently raising more money for him than they are costing him. So these aren't just ads, they're also fundraising ads. But apparently the same thing happened in the UK with regard to this election and whether it was funded by cranky right-wing billionaires or whether it was funded by foreign governments or whatever, who knows? Who knows? But, uh, you know, and, and we probably won't know uh, the details of it, you know, just like we didn't know the details of, of foreign involvement and billionaire involvement in the Brexit thing, you know, in Cambridge Analytica in the original Brexit vote. We probably won't know for months. But I'm not convinced. You know, there are people who are wringing their hands right now and saying, oh, my God you know, the liberal lost in the UK, and they speak English, and they're kind of like us, and so the liberal's going to lose in America, and we're going to get Donald Trump again, because they got Boris Johnson again. Well, Boris Johnson's kind of weird, but he's not Donald Trump. He's not anywhere near as corrupt, or bizarre, or criminal as Donald Trump. He's eccentric, but he's not. I just think that analogy is, is, you know, it unnecessarily scares Democrats. we'll talk to victoria jones and we'll double check that but if you've seen any of these trump ads on facebook i mean i you know i can't look at it because they kicked me off facebook but if you've seen any of these ads let us know tell us about it you know what have you seen this is the tom hartman program our book today is Mortal Republic, How Rome Fell into Tyranny by Edward J. Watts. This is from the first chapter, which I think is really more like an introduction. This book explains why Rome, still one of the longest lived republics in world history, traded the liberty of political autonomy for the security of autocracy. It's written at a moment when modern readers need to be particularly aware of both the nature of the republics and the consequences of their failure. We live in a time of political crisis when the structures of republics as diverse as the United States, Venezuela, France, and Turkey are threatened. Many of these republics are the constitutional descendants of Rome, and as such, they have inherited both the tremendous structural strengths that allowed the Roman Republic to thrive for so long and some of the same structural weaknesses that led eventually to its demise. This is particularly true of the United States, a nation whose basic constitutional structure was deliberately patterned on the idealized view of the Roman Republic presented by the 2nd century B.C. author Polybius. This conscious borrowing from Rome's model makes it vital for all of us to understand how Rome's Republic worked, what it achieved, and why, after nearly five centuries, its citizens ultimately turned away from it and toward the autocracy of Augustus. No republic is eternal. It lives only as long as its citizens want it. And in both the 21st century A.D. and the 1st century B.C., When a republic fails to work as intended, its citizens are capable of choosing the stability of autocratic rule over the chaos of a broken republic. When freedom leads to disorder and autocracy promises a functional and responsive government, even citizens of an established republic can become willing to set aside long-standing principled objections to the rule of one man and embrace its practical benefits. Rome offers a lesson about how citizens and leaders of a republic might avoid forcing their fellow citizens to make such a tortured choice. Rome shows that the basic, most important function of a republic is to create a political space that is governed by laws, fosters compromise, shares government responsibility among a group of representatives, and rewards good stewardship. Politics in such a republic should not be a zero sum game. The politician who wins a political struggle may be honored, but one who loses should not be punished. The Roman Republic did not encourage its leaders to seek complete and total political victory. It was not designed to force one side to accept everything the other wanted. Instead, it offered tools that, like the American filibuster, served to keep the process of political negotiation going until a mutually agreeable compromise was found. This process worked very well in Rome for centuries, but it worked only because most Roman politicians accepted the laws and norms of the Roman Republic. They committed to working out their disputes in the political arena that the republic established rather than through violence in the streets. Republican Rome succeeded in this more than perhaps any other state before or since. If the early and middle centuries of Rome's republic show how effective this system can be, the last century of the Roman Republic reveals the tremendous dangers that result when political leaders cynically misuse these consensus-building mechanisms to obstruct a republic's functions. Like politicians in modern republics, Romans could use vetoes to block votes on laws. They could claim the presence of unfavorable religious conditions to annul votes they disliked. And they could deploy other parliamentary tools to slow down or shut down the political process if it seemed to be moving too quickly toward an outcome that they disliked. When used as intended, these tools help promote negotiations and political compromises by preventing majorities from imposing solutions on minorities. But in Rome, as in our world, politicians could also employ such devices to prevent the republic from doing what its citizens needed. The widespread misuse of these tools offered the first signs of sickness in Rome's republic. Much more serious threats to republics appear when arguments between politicians spill out from the controlled environments of representative assemblies and degenerate into violent confrontations between ordinary people in the streets. Romans had avoided political violence for three centuries before a series of political murders rocked the Republic in the 130s and 120s B.C. Once mob violence infected Roman politics, however, the institutions of the Republic quickly lost their ability to control the contexts and content of political disputes. Within a generation of the first political assassination in Rome, politicians had begun to arm their supporters and use the threat of violence to influence the votes of assemblies, And the elections of magistrates within two generations rome fell into civil war and two generations later augustus ruled as roman emperor when the republic lost the ability to regulate the rewards given to political victors and the punishments inflicted on the losers of political conflicts roman politics became a zero-sum game in which the winner reaped massive rewards and the losers often paid with their lives Above all else, the Roman Republic teaches the citizens of its modern descendants the incredible dangers that come along with condoning political obstruction and courting political violence. Roman history could not more clearly show that when citizens look away as their leaders engage in these corrosive behaviors, the Republic is in mortal danger. Unpunished political dysfunction prevents consensus and encourages violence. In Rome, it eventually led Romans to trade the Republic for the security of an autocracy. This is how a republic dies, mortal republic. Tom Hartman here with you, and on the line with us is our old friend, Victoria Jones. Chief Washington Analyst for the D.C. Radio Company. She is an American citizen and a reporter here in the United States, although she was born in Great Britain, as you will hear if you haven't heard her before. She's been on this program for a long time and does great work. Her Twitter handle is VictoriaJonesDC. And, Victoria, welcome back to the program. Thanks very much, Tom. So uh, you sound a little somber. I'm guessing that has something to do with the election outcome yesterday?
5: Well, I wasn't surprised. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was the worst candidate in the history of candidates, and his campaign was disastrous. And if you run a campaign like that against a good campaigner with very simple slogans, it wasn't a surprise to me at all that Jeremy Corbyn's campaign absolutely tanked. And he really sort of deserved it in the sense that he... Ignored, and this came through in exit polls. He ignored the wishes of 17.4 million uh, Leave voters. Those are people who leave the European Union. Many of whom voters for the Labour Party, the left-wing party of which he is now for a very short time actually the head these are working class people working people who have supported working class policies for a hundred years and they feel that his position which has been i'm not having a position uh, has really betrayed them
4: yeah i think that there's a there's a parallel here to the united states you know the democratic party had been opposed when ronald reagan proposed nafta when George W. Herbert Walker Bush wrote, you know, negotiated NAFTA and laid the whole thing out. And most Democrats were opposed to these trade deals that were good for corporations and bad for American workers. so much so that in the election of 1992, uh, Bill Clinton versus George Bush, uh, Ross Perot took one in five votes in the United States. And uh, I think that people, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the sense of many people in the UK is that Joining the European Union so that people who are coming from very low-wage countries, from Romania, you know, or Poland, where the wages are half of what they are in the UK, those folks coming to the UK and being willing to work for less than Brits are willing to work for the same job has depressed the labor market, and they're just like, enough already. You know, it's sort of like the way a lot of people in the United States feel about so-called free trade. Your thoughts?
5: I think that was part of the feeling in some of these working-class areas where where it is already quite depressed right. um, and where there is higher unemployment than certainly in other areas. But we should be clear that the turnout was not that high for the Conservatives. It mm. really did not go up that much. What happened was that quite a lot of Labour voters, the uh, left-wing voters, stayed home, mm. and uh, some voters voted for the Brexit party right and so that split the vote
4: yeah and this is this is sort of what happened here you know with hillary clinton versus donald trump she got, I think it was either five or seven million fewer votes than Barack Obama got. And, you know, so the Obama voters just stayed home. I mean, some of them voted for Donald Trump, but many of them, most of them did not. And, and actually, I probably the better analogy instead of free trade would be immigration here in the United States. In fact, I was talking with Louise about this yesterday. I think that there's probably, and these are just wild off the top of my head numbers, but I'm guessing that probably about 70% of Americans who are opposed to expanding immigration into the United States. I mean, wildly expanding. I think there's a reasonable, you know, pretty much everybody considers a couple hundred thousand people a year, maybe even a million people a year, reasonable. But, you know, just throwing the doors open. That idea is probably about 70% of the people who are opposed to that are opposed to it because they see it as depressing the labor market. 30 percent of the people who are opposed to it are just opposed to it because they're just naked racists. And I think the Democrats have really hurt themselves by portraying everyone who is upset about immigration as being a racist. And I think that same thing is happening in the UK with regard to people who are opposed to Brexit, or is it not?
5: Oh, I think it is a problem in Britain because not every, of course not everybody is. There are very real Employment issues in the UK. Um, I think there were some other issues too. Uh, Boris Johnson had a very simple message. He has a very clever advisor. He had a simple message get Brexit done. Brexit exhaustion really cannot be overemphasized. You know, you go into pubs, you know this, not that I'm suggesting you're a pub crawler, but you go into a pub, and there are signs (laughs) saying, you cannot talk about Brexit in this pub. Oh really? <laughs> yes,
6: <laughs> that's, that's, I, yeah, I, I,
4: I wonder if there are bars in the United States where it says you may not talk of Donald Trump in this bar. You no know, more fights. They're
5: exhausted. They yeah. want it finished. Yeah. One way or the and, and, other. And, and also, Theresa May totally screwed rest- it up,
4: didn't she? Yeah. So some of the headlines I'm reading, particularly over at the Guardian, you know, the the, the left wing newspaper, the progressive newspaper in the UK. Uh, suggests that Mr. Johnson, Boris Johnson, is going to reinvent British politics in a way that is going to be far more sweeping than anybody is currently imagining. Um, your thoughts on that and what that might mean?
5: Well, that's because of, uh, once again, because of his Svengali advisor. That's what he wants to do. Um, uh, Boris Johnson, we, nobody knows which Boris Johnson is going to show up next week in parliament quite honestly because there are a number of different boris Johnsons. is it going to be the lord mayor of london who was quite moderate is it going to be an extremist boris johnson in his speech he said we're going to unite and pull up let the healing begin nobody knows what he means nobody knows what he's talking about is he
4: taking advice from steve bannon
5: well, he's taking advice from a gentleman, um, who uh, Cummings, who is sort of Steve Bannon on steroids, a very brilliant man in his 40s from uh, who graduated from Oxford, who advises him in 10 Downing Street and who ran his campaign. Uh, but he intends to get the Brexit bill done next Friday. But then he has to deal with the European Union. This is just phase one, but also phase two. It isn't over yet.
4: Right. Right. And the EU has to be very concerned that if Britain does a successful Brexit and it doesn't wipe out your economy and it does bring back manufacturing and it does raise wages. And, you know, I I think there's every reason to believe that all those things will happen, that the other wealthy countries of Europe, France and Germany in particular, are going to start saying, hey, maybe maybe we should go, too. What do you think?
5: There are real concerns about that. And I think it's also worth pointing out that there's actual genuine sadness today in Europe. They're really sad, actually, to see the U.K. leave. Mm. They like Britain. Mm. They don't want to say goodbye.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's it's remarkable. So uh, any final thoughts here, Victoria, on on where... The, uh, well, I guess you, you said you're not sure where this is going to go. I will have to have you back on in a week or two and, and give us a recap of... You know which boris johnson turned up
5: well two thoughts one serious one perhaps not so one is watch scotland they want a second referendum on independence
4: yeah because they they want to go back and join the european union
5: yep so that's major and then the second one boris johnson wants to bring a dog into number 10 so what is going to happen to larry the cat
4: larry the cat tell me about this
5: Well, Larry the cat is the number 10 cat. He's a mouser, and he belongs to number 10, Downing Street. Oh, really? Larry the cat.
4: He's not not the property of a former prime minister. He's just always been living there.
5: He belongs to number 10. So what is going to happen to him if Boris brings in a dog?
4: Well, we have three cats and two dogs, and they get along. In fact, one of our cats, I'll have to send you a video clip of it. One of our cats and one of our dogs, they'll just lay on the floor and play with each other for hours. So maybe they can well, work let's it Let's
5: hope they can all get along. There
4: you go. <laughs> and, and, and let's hope that that's a metaphor for the U.K. and the United States, both uh, you know, for, for our people who have been through so much as a result of all this. Victoria Jones with the D.C. Radio Company. Victoria and her Twitter handle, Victoria Jones D.C. Thanks so much for dropping by, Victoria. It's always nice talking with you.
5: Thanks, Tom.
4: Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's on your mind today?
2: i call into george galloway's show i don't know if you know george galloway george from, has been on this uh, program U- it's been
4: a few years oh, okay. but he's been on
2: this program yeah
4: in fact okay, he's been on this yeah, program several the, times this is back during yeah, the iraq at, war time when he was speaking out uh, against george bush
2: ah uh, yes, yes and he was still I, in I parliament that.
4: he was yeah. Yeah. and for people who don't know who we're talking about the uh, george galloway is, is to the left of most progressives he's scottish and he was a member of the british parliament representing his district in scotland
2: yes and then he was expelled from the labor party by tony blair yes. for the iraq war opposition that's right so and um, your point we, we were talking we were talking about the british elections mm-hmm. and we both predicted me and him that labor was going to lose big because of their opposition their flip-flop on brexit yep. they said they were going to respect they were going to respect the results of brexit and then they flipped and then they said that they were not going to respect the results and hold another referendum right. and that, and when they did that that was the death nail for jeremy corbyn and the labor party when they basically started calling a good percentage of their entire base stupid that most of the seats they needed to win were in leave districts. And there was a statistic that over 50% of British workers voted Tory this election. 50 yeah. percent. Can you believe that? Oh, well, we saw the same thing with
4: Donald Trump. I mean, you know, and, and it's because since Bill Clinton's presidency, the Democratic Party had started supporting in opposition to the majority of grassroots Democrats. The Democratic Party had started supporting aggressive so-called free trade policies that were, you know, corporate trade policies. A and B was not doing anything about large numbers of people coming into the United States and working without the right to, without the legal right to do so and and which is something that lyndon johnson was no fan of jack kennedy was no fan of but it was cheap labor and big business really wanted it and i think that if the democratic party were to say we're going to crack down on employers of people who are not in this country legally regardless of where they come from number one and number two were to stop supporting these so-called free trade deals and adopt some rational protectionist policies i don't think the democratic party would ever lose an election again
2: well i don't know but i do agree with all of that but let's talk about the elephant in the room here this whole talk about open borders is going to be the death nail of the left in the world basically my point we could have a demilitarized border throughout the entire america's we don't need a military to enforce a border but we have to to have a border as long as states exist. Yeah, you if, you to, if you go to if you go to
4: Canada, stuff. Jared, and you try and you get a job and you lie about the fact that you're not a Canadian citizen and you don't have a visa, you will go to jail in Canada. And the employer will go to jail as well. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. Just a heads up, Congressman Ro Khanna, who uh, more or less every other week drops by and takes your calls. He represents California's 17th district, Silicon Valley, and is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's going to moderate a 90-minute fireside chat, and uh, just FYI, it'll be live-streamed on Facebook Live so I won't be able to watch it because Facebook disabled my personal account. <laughs> and I wrote an op-ed about that, which is uh, just, just went up over at Slate.com, asking the question, you know, should, should Facebook has now become such a part, so interpenetrated with our news media and with the way that we communicate with each other and keep in touch with each other, that should it be either A, regulated, like the news media is, you can't have naked lies and distortions and untruths. I guess, to some extent, the news media is. <laughs> Look at Fox News. Oh my God. Should it be regulated or should it be nationalized? Should the federal government say, okay, Mark, uh, you know, we're going to buy you know, 50% of your stock and, and we're going to run Facebook? Or uh, a third alternative that I laid out in the article, that's over at salon.com right now as well it was on alternate yesterday i'm not sure if it's still up and la progressive and ourrevolution.org and a bunch of other places third option that i suggested was that the federal government could actually create a facebook alternative actually that's kind of a, an interesting idea i mean you know the, the technology behind facebook is not it was new when it was new but it's not new anymore So, anyhow, if you have thoughts on that, let me know. Do you think that Facebook should be regulated? Do you think it should be nationalized? Do you think that we should, you know, the government should be creating a Facebook alternative? Every time there's been a a serious competitor to Facebook, Facebook simply buys them. And that, of course, is monopolistic behavior and something that shouldn't be allowed, but it has been ever since the Reagan era. And that's a whole separate rant. So, anyhow, John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's on your mind today?
7: You know, uh, this is a philosophical question but it is an you know a very important one to our system of law you know we have a system based on reason and, um, and law, but many voters are very unreasonable and they are willing to believe unreasonable, untruthful things. And so, you know, there's several issues there. There's like a moral relativism, you know, um, you know, whether I'm, I'm not pushing, you know, my form of Christianity or anything like that, but we have to stick with, I think a, a truthful, uh, you know, meme of what we're we're after, and we may do it in different ways, i.e., conservative or liberal, Democrat or even socialist or whatever you want to call it, progressive. But uh, you know, that is a, a problem for. Our democracy, it really is, uh, because we, you know, there are so many people, they just don't really care. You know, it's all about making money, I think, for, you know, like Kellyanne Conway or somebody like that or Donald Trump. Uh, You know, they could care less. They're they're morally uh, bankrupt individuals who are now in power. And, you know, what do we do about that? And we we, we, we mobilize
4: people and we vote the bums out. I mean that's really our only choice. Uh, yes. you know, staging a revolution and, and, and is I'm not
7: glad that work. you mentioned that because I was, uh, you know, doing a Bernie campaign thing yesterday with a bunch of um, Democratic socialists, and they were young people and they were just inspiring. It was so good to be with them and to you know have this uh, you know forum to to all together to uh, you know accomplish a goal yeah. and i think that uh, yes we have to connect that's another thing we have to connect with each other and there is a truthful meme of connection uh, that we you know uh, you can see it I, I I mean I know I've said this before on your show but uh, you know at Bernie campaigns I see it across the board and no it's not just young people there are young people there are you know uh, generation Xers there is middle middle-aged people there is older People like myself, so yeah. it's across and between different minorities and other
4: groups. Yeah, I think the, the Democratic Socialists and the sunsh- and the Sunrise Movement, um, two very substantial groups of very young people who, uh, in the uh, Sunrise Movement in, in particular, who are uh, you know uh, the, the 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 hope for our country, frankly. John, thank you. Eric in Auburn, Washington. Hey, Eric, what's on your
8: mind today? The chaos in the last few years has been absolutely increasingly distressing and i just i gotta think that there are there are for sure health health problems for people all across the country i know i've been feeling it um we know for the last thinking, three years that
4: lifespan has gone down for the first time in in decades uh, that is just it's it's just and what's I leading it by that the way are people, our, What's leading it is the death of people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and they're dying from God. drug abuse and from alcoholism, and these are dise- what are called diseases of despair. Back to you, Eric.
8: Sorry for the interruption. Oh, it, it, it is it is sad, but it, I mean it proves that people are paying attention. For God's sake. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, more long term, is like how the how do we correct this in our country long term, systemically? Fine. When I uh, graduated from college in two thousand i I'm sorry, 93, 1993, my degree was in communications with a focus on uh, media literacy for children, and of course, the media landscape has changed so dramatically since then, yep. and now we see that. I think we. I think maybe we need to start with children to show them how to navigate the media landscape to find fact, to find reliable sources, because right now I feel like so much of what we're up against is because the populace is not, they're not interested in, they don't have the analytical skills to find reliable sources, so just, they're just
4: believing total lies. Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest problems that we're facing is the the way that Facebook works. Uh, that that uh, you know they've got right wingers, uh, hardcore right wing, like Breitbart, on their uh, you know that they're prom- promoting as actual news. And uh, you know, the, there's uh, I was talking with a, 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 a guy who does a progressive radio show yesterday, and he was telling me about all the people he knows that have been kicked off Facebook. I was kicked off Facebook, my personal account, and and. Oh, my. Uh, yeah and and with no reason no you know nothing i mean n- not even a warning just boom your account is disabled you can download your data goodbye and uh you know and but i but i'm not so much complaining about that I, w- the point i'm trying to make is that um, Trump is using Facebook as the core of his reelection strategy. He's got over 1400 different ads running, the majority of them containing naked lies. And Mark Zuckerberg is saying it's fine. You know, the American people can just figure out what's truth and what's lies. And, and you can't do that in any other media. I mean, the, the ads on Facebook, uh, their video ads and CNN has turned them down. They they will not carry them. Yeah. So and and about 40 percent of Americans get their uh, Facebook as their primary source of news. That should tell us that this has moved into the realm of being, you know, uh, a public utility, essentially. And and it should either be heavily regulated or or it should be or it should be nationalized, in my opinion. Eric, I got to move along. But thank you for the call. Tim in Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up?
9: Yeah, you know, and we've talked a number of times, Tom, but, you know, what I see, and, and I, I think I've explained this to you before, I've been in the same neighborhood for thir- 30 years as of June 1st. I've seen all the kids grow up. I knew all the business owners. I was in retail sales for 35 years. I was in the auto industry for 20 years. I know how society works. And now, uh, what I do is I still talk to everybody in the area because I, you know, I, I patronize all the stores. There's a complacency that's going on of hand right now. As much as people think of this, uh, this impeachment and the Mueller pr- probe, have an effect on people. They're concerned with their everyday finances and right. their kids going to school and their credit card debt and so forth. This is a scary situation, you know. The ideal situation if they threw that man out of office. Look who who'd, who'd, who'd replace him. We've got another year of a nightmare coming up with, regardless of what happens with this impeachment inquiry. And you know, the Senate's not going to do anything about it. He's he's overcoming all the legal aspects of what could be adverse in, in his. Uh, uh, a political stay in the office, and he's and they're beating it. They're beating the system, basically. You know, is what it amounts to. Yeah. And, I, and unfortunately, you were talking to your, one of your Republican candidates, he hit that right on the nose. And the Republicans understand that. The Democrats don't. And that's one of the key features in what's happening in this country, you know? Well, I think the Democrats
4: it's, get yeah. that. They just they just felt that they can't let this stand. I mean, it's just that simple. It may not be oh, the yeah. smartest thing politically, but at, at a certain point, you've got to stand up and say, I am here to defend the Constitution of the United States. That's the oath that I took. I'm defending my nation against a corrupt and criminal president. And, I and, agree with and, you. And 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 frankly, I think after the holidays settle down and when the trial happens in the Senate, I think there is going to be a lot of attention paid to it. And and I think that it's also entirely possible that by that time, some of these things will have worked their way through the courts, and we may know a lot more about the crimes that Donald Trump has committed and his taxes may be available. And the impeachment trial in the Senate might provide a venue where the Supreme Court can actually order some of this stuff to happen. Um, Yeah,
9: but you've got to get the millennials to understand what's going on. Oh, I think the millennials are all over this. Those,
4: I think the millennials are all over this because they know that Donald Trump is a climate denier, and that's one of the bigger issues for millennials. The the, the group that I'm concerned about are the Gen X and Gen Z, uh, or yeah. the Gen Xers, basically, the, 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 the middle generation, the people who are, you know, between their... Their uh, early 30s and, and mid 50s, who are just working their butts off, and 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 like you said, they're they're concerned about paying the bills, making the rent, getting the food, um, and and for them, the Democrats actually offer a uh, you know a really good, and this is where the Democratic primaries are going to help, a really good alternative to what's going on. Trump says the economy is better than it's ever been. There's more jobs than there's ever been. That's true, but what kind of jobs are they? You know, people can't well, people, the, people the can't live is, on fifteen bucks an yeah. hour.
9: And the key element to that, people don't still don't understand this. You know, like I said, I was in retail sales, I dealt with banks, credit unions, and insurance companies. Obama turned the the Obama administration turned this country around. Look look That's what right. the Republican ideology was in twenty twelve. They wanted to let the auto industry go bankrupt.
3: Yep. Yep. what and, do you think
9: would have happened? And then, of course, that depression caused by the Cheney-Bush administration had nothing to do with Bush. It was Cheney. Right, right. And I wish I could write a book about that. But, well, that,
4: that actually, I think you could take back to 1998 and uh, 1999 and 2000. That was the deregulation of the banks. That was blowing up Glass-Steagall right. is what caused that, and among other things. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is, if you look at the long historical arc of the United States, the one single variable that most consistently predicts whether a party whether the white house changes parties is the economy when the economy is doing well the white house tends to stay in the same party when the when the economy excuse me is doing poorly the economy the white house tends to change
9: and so, ultimately the power of fox news that's what we have to overcome there you go
4: tim thanks for the call Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155. Okay, just a a couple of quick details. MoveOn.org is planning protests, or whatever you want to call it, getting out on the streets all across America at 5.30 the night before the vote on impeachment in the U.S. House. And I'm sure they'll do it again for the Senate. And that's going to be in all probability next Wednesday, although we don't know for sure. Once we do know for sure, then they will announce that. But you can go to Impeach.org and sign up. So, there you go. Cat in Independence, Oregon, what's up?
0: I wanted to tell you about my experience talking to my senators. Okay. I recently moved to Oregon, and I came from Utah. And uh, it's so nice to be in Oregon, I must say. But hmm. I still have a relationship with my senators from Utah. I had set that up over long periods of time. That would be himself.
4: Mike Lee and Mitt Romney?
0: Yeah, that's who it would be. Yeah. And, of course, it was very frustrating. But... I call them still, even though I'm now in Oregon, and when I call them, I've learned to be um, friendly to interns. Of course, Mitt Romney's always been a recording from the very beginning, and he never talked to anybody there, but I'm friendly to their interns, and I speak in a way that's respectful, but I am very direct, and I don't pull any punches. I've told them this man's obviously guilty, this man's a threat to our elections, and then uh, I actually spoke to Mike Lee's intern and told him I said, you know, this guy he's cheated. He's cheating now and he's gonna cheat in the future. Right. And there is no doubt that this election coming up in twenty twenty is gonna be um, what's the word I want? Contested by both parties. Right. It's gonna be it's gonna be a mess. And, and and I had him agreeing with me that yes, this and that we must protect Election, mm-hmm. so you know, I I just I I went through the period where I'd them and be angry and you know, but I find I get better um, rapport with them and that they actually listen to me if I'm direct and but sure, but yeah, you
4: catch more flies with honey than vinegar.
0: You do, <laughs> you do, and and it, it was, by the time I'm motivated to call them, I'm usually pretty angry, but mm. I've learned to you know get get it under control and, and be productive in my phone calls.
3: Good, good.
0: So I, I encourage everyone to do that. And it's still important right now because I still have Rob Bishop that I need to nag him some more. Who's know, Who's Rob he's Bishop? He's the my representative from Utah.
6: Oh, so in the House.
0: He's a, oh, he's a hardcore Republican. But anyway, I still call him.
4: He's a Trumpster.
0: And I'm still... Oh, big time, big time, yes. Yeah. Well, it's Utah, it's Utah so... You
4: know, Is I, Independence, I, I, Oregon, and uh, in the uh, I don't know where Independence is. Are you in the eastern half of Oregon?
0: I'm in Western. I'm just south of Salem.
4: Oh, right okay, okay. So you're represented by uh, what? Peter DeFazio? No, uh, Kurt Schrader. Oh, Kurt Schrader. Well, you might want to <laughs> call him from time to time because he's voting with the I, with I, the Republicans I, an I, awful I, lot. I
0: I, I do call him. And Mark Gamba is
4: running a campaign against him in the primary. I don't yeah. know if you knew about that, but uh.
0: I've, I've already hooked up with his website, and I'm going to be working for him.
4: Yeah, uh, it's yeah, because it's uh, you know these 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 Democrats who just think they can take us all for granted. It's just it's mind-boggling. Cat, I got to run, but thank you it for is. the call, and uh, you know thank keep you. up the good work. Uh, there's nothing more important than calling your representatives. Well, there's lots of things I suppose more important than that, but it's an important thing. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey, listening on Sirius XM. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today?
2: I think that the trial uh, for the removal of President Trump is going to get a lot of eyeballs. And the senators who are running for election are going to be in their best performance because there are going to be millions of people. So they may not have to go on the campaign trail during that time. They may get more votes, just their actions in the uh, trial. Oh, the, oh, you mean
4: like uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, good point. Good point. In yeah. fact, uh, Klobuchar is on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. I don't know if they're going to go through No, they they I don't think they have to go through a committee process. I think this goes right to the floor. Yeah, this guy, you know, mm-hmm. this goes right to the floor and John Roberts right. comes in and presides and, you know, Mitch McConnell will be the hand behind the the great wizard of Oz who will be orchestrating right. it, but John Roberts yeah. is going to be front and center.
2: If you work for the IRS would you follow the subpoena, If your worker there, and you had access to Donald Trump's financial records, would you take those and walk them over to Jerry Nadler and hand them as the subpoena requires? It would depend uh, on how
4: badly I needed to pay my mortgage. I mean, there have been two IRS whistleblowers now, and both of them have been sufficiently intimidated by the Republicans on the House Ways and Means. It's a Richie Neal's committee. Ways and Means is the one that has access to his tax returns. And when they went to the committee, they talked to the staffers, and the Republican staffers basically threatened them, and they both just freaked out and went away. That's the big concern, but yeah. If it wasn't for
3: personal problems with this, would you do it?
4: I would do it if it, it didn't mean risking my family, but, you know, I, I mean, look at what happened to Christine Blasey Ford. I mean, they, they, these people, you know, or, or Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, you know, he had to move on the base because of the death threats. It, this is a real right. tough time in America, Bill. You get the brown shirts out there. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I would like to see the IRS release, as the law requires, release Trump's tax returns to Richie Neal. though. John in Vashon, Washington. Hey, John, what's
1: up? I have a suggestion I've been thinking about for quite a long time, and that is a coalition between Bernie and Elizabeth. Bernie gets 28 percent of the polls at 28 percent or thereabouts. Elizabeth is polling at around 24 percent. Together that makes 52 percent of the electorate. And Bernie, I know Bernie and Elizabeth agree on a lot of things. So if If Bernie uh, were,
9: if the two of them would get together, form a coalition, one of them say, okay, you be president, I'll be
2: vice president, and go under that form.
4: It may come to that, John, if that's the only way to to topple Joe Biden. It may come to that. I don't know. Well, I mean, right now, both of them are trying to outdo the other, and, you know, I get that. That's what you do in a primary. And also, nobody has voted yet, and the polls are extremely fluid. And those numbers right. that you were citing are from polls that were, that were weeks ago, and both of them are, are down quite a bit from there because there's just been relentless attacks on progressive policies, particularly Medicare for All, on MSNBC and CNN and, of course, on Fox. But the media has been just going after these guys. I mean, you know, Donnie Deutsch on MSNBC and, and pretty much, you know, half the people on CNN. The progressive policies basically have one defender on CNN, and that's Van Jones. Over on MSNBC, uh, I'm not sure that they have any, you know, solid defenders for things like Medicare for All, who are regular participants or hosts. Maybe Joy Reid, I'm not sure, but there's a ways to go. And I, but I think your idea of them coming together is not something that either one of them would want to hear pitched to them right now. <laughs> you know, I can tell you from experience, uh, talking uh, at least to Bernie. But I suspect that we may we may end up at that point, at least progressives may end up at that point, where if it looks like it's going to be uh, alternatively Pete Buttigieg or Joe Biden, simply because the progressive vote has been split, it may have to come together. John, thanks for the call. That was a, a, a good observation. Bruce in Los Angeles. Hey, Bruce, what's up?
3: I want to know why we just don't like as Democrats and uh, people that speak truth to power. Why don't we just, you know, keep hounding on this point that Donald Trump has not said one truth since he's been in office, it's how he likes to grab women's genitalia and how he and all the bull crap that he does. Yeah. Just call truth to power. Keep yep. calling the liar that he is. Yep. And hone in on that. Just hone in on it. How he has golden showers over there in Russia. How he's beholden to the Russian government. How Annalynica got him in office. Why don't we just hone in on those points and it'll take care of itself. He's a disgrace to his country. And Bill Barr...
4: Oh, yeah, we can't use language like that, Bruce. I'm sorry. Uh, we just... We can't. You guys you guys both dumped it? Okay. Uh, if that got through to anybody, my apologies. But it shouldn't have gotten through to anybody. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, what's on your mind today?
10: A couple days ago, you had a lady call in and talk about the Senate, and what are we going to do about the Senate? Mm-hmm. The Senate is divided into three classes, one, two, and three. And every two years, a third of the Senate is up for re-election. Yep. Here in Alabama, Doug Jones will be up for re-election, and he's going to have to have help because the Alabama Democratic Party is going to the Supreme Court to decide who's in charge. But each state has what they call a window in which you can get a person on the ballot. And each state needs to make sure that they have someone on that ballot, and if they did not get someone on the ballot to run against a Republican, then they need to figure out a way to make an amendment to do this and get them on the general ballot in November so we can take over the Senate. And if, you know, you have a Democrat that's up for re-election, you had better do everything you can to protect that Democrat and help support them. Yes. Because if we don't get people like Mitch McConnell out of the Senate, he has an opponent, a retired Air uh, Force, I believe. Yeah, and,
4: and I encourage people, and I regularly encourage people, to go to Amy McGrath's website, which I think is amymcgrath.com, but it's easy to find in any case. Watch the video. He, She's got a two-and-a-half-minute video on there that's, that's her pitch for herself. It's astonishing. It'll bring tears to your eyes. And, and yeah. you know, send her 25 bucks.
10: Yeah, people need to get involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you don't understand how the political process works, get yourself a copy of Robert's Rules of Order and start learning. Attend your city council meeting. Attend your county commission meeting. We just had a public service commission meeting here. It was a hearing over whether or not we're going to pay a fee to Alabama Power for having solar. Oh, jeez! It turned into a fight, and it ended. They were thrown out.
4: That's great. That's great. And another way to do that, Norma, is to uh, watch your local cable system very often they will play things like your town you know your city council meetings and things and that's how you can get familiar with the procedures and policies and kind of how roberts rules of order work norma thank you for the call it's always nice to hear from you and happy holidays linda in detroit michigan watching us on free speech tv i used to live in detroit linda what's up
6: yes um i wanted to call you to comment on something you were um speaking about trump and um uh, his situation with North Korea.
4: Yeah, he said Seoul is too close to North Korea. They should just move the city at 25 million people.
6: Yes. So the book is by Peter Bergen, B-E-R-G-E-N. Right. And it's brand new off the press. It's Trump and his generals. Mm-hmm. The class,
4: There's the a great review of it, yeah. by the way, over at the New York Times right now that, that kind of summarizes oh. parts of the book.
6: So apparently there was this presentation in the Oval Office to give information to Trump about North Korea. And there was a tabletop model made. It was about the size of a tabletop model Mm -hmm. of the area. And so there's South Korea, and it's all lit up. And there's North Korea, and it's totally black. And then there's China, and you can see it's all lit up. And apparently Trump they were concerned that he might think that where it was dark, where it's really North Korea, that Trump would think that that's the ocean.
4: No, that's what he initially thought, actually. When he yeah. looked at those satellite photos, those nighttime satellite photos, he said, oh, well, that must be an ocean right there. And they were like, no, that's North Korea. There's just no electricity outside of Pyongyang.
6: So scary.
4: We have the village idiot running the country.
6: Thank you. I thought the same. In fact, when we read this book, I think we're all going to be sleepless for
4: yeah. Well, and we're going to try know, and get Peter Bergen on our show here. You know, when he's doing thank his book you. tour.
6: Oh my gosh, that was so. That was just something else.
4: Yeah. Well, and, thank and
6: you so much.
4: You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for the call. Uh, and uh, you know, great to hear from you, Howard in New York City. Hey, Howard, what's on your mind?
1: Yeah. Hi. I got a wonderful quote from a real quote from Albert Einstein, which is very appropriate for Donald Trump, but I made a T-shirt out of it so just to entertain everybody. It's a T-shirt where I put on the left side a picture of Donald Trump saying that I'm a stable genius. Right. And the right side, the quote from Albert Einstein from his picture is, the difference between genius and
3: stupidity is that stupidity has no limitation.
4: That's a good one. That's a good one. And so you've turned this into a t-shirt. Have you tried wearing it in public?
1: I only wear it when I'm not in Trump water.
4: Yeah, yeah. When I was in Mexico, I got one that I'm I'm not quite sure how to say this, and I'm not even sure if I should say it in Spanish. It's got a picture of kind of a bandito guy pointing out, you know, a Mexican guy in a big hat with a big mustache. It's a potter kind of picture. And uh, it says basically, uh, Trump, you know, blank your mother uh, in Spanish. And uh, I wore that in public once, and I got a pretty startled look from somebody who apparently spoke Spanish. And I thought, okay, that's it. I'm not going to wear that
2: t-shirt anymore. <laughs> right. I'm sensitive where I wear it, but I don't yeah. want to get injured by one of these Yeah, there you people. go. Howard, thanks a lot for the call.
4: This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the place where despair is not an option. Stick around. David in Gainesville, Georgia. Hey, David, it says you disagree with me, so you go to the front of the list. What's up?
3: Yes, uh, I was just listening to your program, and there was this lady that was on there who was comparing uh, a Trump campaign rally to Hitler
4: to the Nuremberg rally. Yeah.
3: I, I just don't understand the thing of it is, is we finally got a president in there who has done what he said he was going to do, and gone What's beyond of what he's going to do. What is it? What has he, he done was, that he said he would do? Well, he said he's going to build the wall. He's in the middle of trying uh, to build the no, wall. No, he's
4: actually not building the wall right now. And when he said that in his rally because yesterday, he was lying. A,
3: a, f- a federal
4: judge has blocked that money. Number one, exactly. And and number yeah, he's not building the wall. So uh, and and beyond that, why would you wa- why would you want a wall
3: anyway? <sighs> Do you want to keep the drugs flowing in? Do you want to keep the illegal aliens in? I don't have a problem with somebody. We were the we were country, doing just fine interdicting drugs, it. and if you don't want illegal want aliens in this you country,
4: then hey, listen for a second here, uh, David. If you don't want illegal aliens in this country, then join me and and many Republicans in calling for employers who hire people who are not citizens to go to jail.
3: Are you on the same planet? I mean, the people are going to come. Yeah, I'm telling come. you, this is Mitt Romney's solution.
4: Mitt Romney campaigned on this in 2012 for president. Put the employers uh, in jail, and people will stop coming. We don't need but, 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 the, but the simple reality is uh, that you that don't plan? have people coming here looking for work right now. Anyway, you got people who are refugees coming out of Guatemala because the country's in the fifth year of a drought caused by climate change, which is being caused by the polluting industries that Donald Trump seems to love. But, but you know, David, let me just uh, you, let you, me just run through a couple of you're things. Saying, you you're, talking, you talking you're talking about, about the things, the things that the things that concern me about Donald Trump, and I'm just going to go through a list real quick. He has solicited foreign attacks on our elections. He did it with Russia. He, is do- he did it with Ukraine. Or that's the allegation. There's nobody denying that he did it with Russia. And he did it with China. He did it right on television. He is using phones that are not secure in the White House in a way that is way beyond Hillary Clinton's emails not being secure. Uh, And in fact, we know now that China was running stingray devices across the street from the White House and tapping into it. He's destroying and concealing records. He's covering for the murder of a journalist of Khashoggi. He's been violating human rights and international law at our border, putting children in cages. He ran a supposed charity that was such a scam that his three children just finished court-ordered training in how not to run a scam, and he had to pay a $3 million dollar fine. He's lied to the American people over 14,000 times that have been documented by the Washington Post. He constantly attacks the free press, which is, according to our founders, the cornerstone of democracy. You can't have a republic, a functioning republic, without a free press. He has spent one quarter of all his days in office visiting his own golf courses. He spent a third of all his time in office visiting his own properties to the tune of of millions and millions of dollars of expense to the American people. He's violating the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution by making money off all this stuff. He gave the security clearances to Jared Kushner, who's got these skeezy deals with Middle Eastern potentates to give him a billion dollars for his building in New York City, where the, where the NSA and the CIA said, do not give that guy a security clearance and Trump did it anyway. He's refusing to investigate or build defenses against interference in our elections. Him and Mitch McConnell, both, the Democrats in the House passed that Legislation to simply harden our election infrastructure. Trump is like, oh no, I don't want to do that. That's just a beginning of my list, there, David. Now I turn it over to you. I, you know why? Why should such a person continue to be our president?
3: Well, you see, most of what you have come back to me with is just allegations. Allegations. You want to talk about spending taxpayers' money? What about Obama and his worldwide tours? on the American dime. Obama's not president right now. That he went. I know, but he spent money going to countries that nobody, nobody listened to a word. Nobody said anything. The point is, the man has done what the man said he's going to do, and there's something. You were throwing up things to me that you know, had not been proven. The
4: one, the one argument that you can make for Donald Trump right now, David, and I would encourage you if you want to advocate for him to use this, is that the economy's doing really well. Now, my exactly. my rebuttal to that would be that the economy is doing really well for the upper class and for wealthy people, and that 44% of American workers are making a median income of eighteen thousand dollars a year. That that the the bottom half of the economy has been wiped out. You've got three men in the united states who own more wealth in the bottom bottom half of america 200 people in the united states who own more wealth than the bottom 90 percent of americans that's not just donald trump's fault i mean that that goes back to reaganomics but yeah unemployment you is low right the, now you, there's a lot of crappy you haven't jobs mentioned out there a
3: word you haven't mentioned a word about affordable child care that he passed today that he signed in you haven't even mentioned that no i haven't i, you I know you haven't I, mentioned anything I, I am unaware about of it all the people
4: I thought well, that they just had a meeting, Him, uh, that Ivanka had no, just convened a meeting today. It.
3: No, he signed it. Okay, well,
4: he I'll have to look that up, David. If he did that, I will yeah, I will well, tip my hat to him for it. Thanks a lot, David. Good the, uh, to hear from he you. Yeah. Uh, you know, call another time and, <laughs> and come up with some of those. Uh, consider some of my allegations, would you please? By the way, that's from a list that Walter Schaub put together. He was the director of the Office of Government Ethics. Within the executive branch during the Obama administration, Paul in Woodinville, eh? Paul, what's on your mind today?
1: Well, Tom, I want to first of all answer a question of uh, Nancy in Elkhart, Indiana, who asks why don't the uh, Democrats argue back or fight back? And the perfect uh, demonstration example would be your your conversation with this guy from Gainesville, David. And the lesson is it is sheer foolery to argue with an idiot because <laughs> I, I mean, you know I don't think he's it. an
4: idiot I think he's malinformed I, I I think he's one of those people who's been getting his news from Fox News or Facebook or right-wing hate radio
1: Well that's what happens is they listen to Fox News and then they troll progressive radio so and repeat what they've heard I have never heard a conservative actually say anything of original thought that came out of their mind. So he started the call with a bunch of falsities, and you argued back. And if you do that in a hearing, you're wasting your time, When which you could I don't, think, you, I don't the think
4: they would be wasting their time in a hearing, frankly. And I wish more of those kind of things that I just said had been said by the Democrats in the House, because the rest of America is listening. And there are well, people who are not all together in one camp or the other who are listening.
1: Well, let me, t- let me ask you. I, I think some of the Job of, of telling the truth comes from the media and say no that was because most people are not watching these hearings all day long like those no. of us who are speaking it
4: no but they but they are uh, looking uh, at the at the clips and and if you know when somebody right. makes a really good point those clips will get out there and and I'm I just I wish somebody had hired a coach for some of these guys
1: well that's that's true but then he comes back when you when you give him the microphone back he says a oh, what about Obama and then he ends with a sheer lie if. There was a bill signed passed today, signed into law, affordable child care. I guarantee you Nancy Pelosi would be, have be out there all day saying, saying, see, we can get good things done while we're doing MP. We can walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. Right. So I, I, I seriously doubt I would have checked that. I don't have a way to check it. But I'm on the phone with you. I would have called my representative to find out if that really passed. But yeah. my guess is somebody can fact check it, and I guess um, my bet is 75% of it's false. Okay, so the other thing is... I wanted to talk about the potentials for for what the Democrats can do and what we know. The first thing about the Senate, the conventional wisdom is that the Democrats just can't take the Senate back. Well, let me just remind everyone that within the last ten years, at the beginning of the Obama administration, the Democrats have been the only party to hold a Philip buster proof A majority in the Senate. They had 60 seats until Ted Kennedy died and Scott Brown was appointed. That's right. From Massachusetts. So they had 60 seats. The Republicans, when they have control, if you notice, they really never. 55 is about all they can really get. Yeah. They had 55 during the Clinton impeachment.
4: Yeah, demographics are flowing against them. That's why they're doing voter manipulation.
1: In other words, the demographic, the votes in these states, are there, that the Democrats can get more than 55 senators in the Senate. The other thing is that we know is that there are 70 million people out there who are willing to vote for a Democrat. They voted for more than 70 million voted for Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And if if those uh, Hillary Clinton had 65 million-plus, if 5 million people had come out, 5 million more people, i don't care how you distribute that that will outstrip the seventy-five thousand votes in those three states of wisconsin michigan and pennsylvania right which means if we million. can
4: get a really popular democratic candidate then it's it's not going to be that hard
1: no question and the other thing is is that, that ultimately that will be the indictment and conviction of donald trump is uh, true enough i think the impeachment needs to happen but he you know he's going to escape the uh I think it was interesting the point you're making. He's going to escape conviction, but they also want to acquit him, and they want to say not not only not guilty, but they want to say innocent, right? That's Which correct. He's never done in a trial. That's right. correct. Then they want to. He has to be declared innocent by his party. Now, here's the funny thing: is it would you when they when they when they talk about a trial by jury of your peers, that doesn't mean that if you're a mafia boss, seven of the twelve jurors get to be your thug friends, right? <laughs>
4: right. Generally speaking, yes.
1: but that's gonna happen here we
4: all know that i mean that's a given paul
1: okay well that was the point we have the demographics We just have to get out and get it done.
4: Yeah, amen. And that's why we need, you know, everybody you know, and I know you're doing this, Paul, everybody, you know, but I'm speaking to everybody who's watching or listening to me right now. Everybody you know needs to be registered to vote. And you need to double check your registration, particularly if you have a Hispanic last name or a common African-American last name, or you live in an area that is heavily Democratic because the Republicans in all probability have removed you from the voting roll. So double check. And come November, double check again before you go to vote. You don't want a provisional ballot. You've been listening
3: to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.